everyone. Uh, my name's Rob, and we're going to be reading from God's Word now. Uh, so open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 1 to 11. Uh, if you need a Bible, put up your hand, and some of the ushers will come around uh, and can get you one. And so it'll be on page 1,023. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1-11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction, through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation." If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again, while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adrian, and it's awesome and echoey to have you here today. And um, it's really great to be here. Welcome to church. Welcome to Northmead, and welcome to our new series, Treasure in Jars of Clay. I'm really looking forward to spending time in 2 Corinthians uh, and spending time together as we learn more and more about our great God. So why don't we pray now and ask him to be with us as we come to him in his word. So let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us with an everlasting love, that you are our God who is always with us and you speak to us in your word. Help us to listen now, to know you, to know the strength and courage that we can have, to know your love and mercy in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there used to be a cafe up in the Blue Mountains, up in Katoomba, back in the 90s, I think, that was almost impossible to find. Because there was this very plain, nondescript door on the street that basically said nothing. And when you went in, there was this long corridor. Very long, enclosed, just kind of plain corridor, straight ahead. You'd walk along the corridor, it turned around a couple of times, and eventually you start going up some stairs. And those stairs took you up, and as you climbed, you find yourself in the middle of this big, empty warehouse space, kind of like a dark factory as you kept climbing these stairs. And then at the top of the stairs, you turn, and there, suspended above everything, was this perfect 
hidden away cafe with ridiculously comfortable armchairs and couches and tables everywhere and there was a, a fireplace over there the vibe was amazing it was just the right amount of not too light but not too dark and super delicious food and drinks it was random that in the middle of nowhere behind this most boring uninteresting looking door on the street that you would never have picked through a bit of a maze there was this incredibly warm welcoming space that was just awesome to hang out in i only ever went there twice and, well, now it's not there. Although, maybe it is still there, and you can only find it when the shadow of the mountain tips land on the foot of the... Or you only get to go there twice in your life, and then it disappears, or whatever it is. It was amazing, and now it's gone. The point is, you would never have guessed what was behind that door, or through that bland, dingy corridor. And as we start our series in 2 Corinthians... We're reminded it's the same with the gospel. It's actually the same with the community of God's people. It's the same with us as Christians. We've called this series Treasure in Jars of Clay because that's a phrase that Paul uses to describe us. And the treasures of the gospel, the treasures of God's blessing and his love that is within us. Now, for all those who come to Jesus, then this is true. That we look to the world plain and uninteresting and easily ignored. But they would never guess that the fullness and the riches of God's glory and his goodness and his grace are found within this outwardly unimpressive container. I'm not sure if you've ever been searching for something. Uh, maybe it's your keys or your phone or your glasses or whatever it is. And eventually you end up finding them in the most obvious place. Maybe they were staring right at you as you kept looking. The keys were there on the table all along. Or your phone was actually in your hand. You can be so focused on what you're missing. You can be so stressed and agitated searching for the thing that you're missing, but it's right in front of you. It's like that with the world. We have what the world desperately needs more than anything. Right here in front of them, on full display for Northmead and Winston Hills, here it is. We have it. Eternal treasure, spiritual riches, all the blessings of heaven, life to the full, joy that satisfies. We have all of this because we have the truth. I mean, everyone right now is arguing about everything and debating and more divided than ever. People are living lives just by feelings or by trends or by pressures on social media. There's wacky conspiracy theories everywhere, lies, fake news. It's all just relative anyway. We don't know who to trust, but here's the thing. We have the truth, the truth about life, the truth about the world, the truth about us, the truth about love and about God. Because we have the truth, then we have assurance and certainty. We have assurance and certainty. So much of the world is driven by fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of missing out, fear of the future, fear of death. We have absolute assurance and absolute certainty and absolute confidence. And so we have peace. And as a result of that, Christians, we have community and connectedness. What the world craves desperately and searches online for or in life for to find lasting, fulfilling connection, God has created and knit us together as a new community of people who are forgiven and transformed and filled with his love 
which means we have the secret to morality and goodness. We have it. People talk about wanting to make a difference in the world, to live with purpose and real values or to have an impact for good. But they're running around lost and actually making things worse. But we have the goodness of God revealed in the righteousness of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We have this amazing treasure. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a reason it's called good news. And I want to say it's not arrogant to say these things. It's reality. It's an act of praise to our great and glorious king to acknowledge this. It's not arrogant to say we have everything that anyone could possibly want. Because as we're going to see again and again in 2 Corinthians, it keeps saying we have this amazing, priceless, glorious, eternal treasure in jars of clay. The world looks at us as a church and as Christians and they are unimpressed. In fact, at times they are repulsed and offended. But remember, that's how they responded to Jesus. They're seeing an optical illusion. They're seeing a lie. They're blind. We know the reality. What they dismiss is in fact God's beautiful treasure. What they ignore is God's amazing truth. What they laugh at and mock and are offended by is God's message of unity and reconciliation and love. So we should expect the world's rejection and dismissive contempt or even outright attacks to get worse. But in a sense, bring it on. Because you know what? We are frail and weak and ordinary. But the more they chip away at us, the more they try to break us down, then all that happens is the more the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine through. The weaker and more cracked and more broken I am, then more and more what shines through is not me, but the glory of God's salvation and His forgiveness and His power and compassion and majesty and holiness. As we think about church, we need to be reminded of these two truths about ourselves as individuals and as a community of believers. The Bible says we are the precious pedestal of the truth, the fullness of God, the bride and the body of Christ, the chosen ones of the Father, the inheritance of the Son, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's astonishing the way the Bible describes us as the church. And yet at the same time, here we are, fragile, ordinary, plain, tired, worn out, clay jars. What makes this time and this gathering precious is the truth that unites us and the spirit that fills us and the love that binds us and the purpose that guides us and the blood that washes us and the hope that inspires us and the Lord who shepherds us. Church is ordinary, but church is truly glorious. Church is temporary, but church is truly eternal. Church is physical, but fundamentally church is spiritual. Those who come to Christ in faith, acknowledging that we have no life without him. Well, now we are made of boring old clay, but inside us is the life and the light and the spirit of God and the love of Christ and the hope of glory. And that changes the way you think about other Christians. The way you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ, sure, they are clay jars. They have chips and cracks and broken edges and rough bits. 
They are weak and fragile and broken, but contained in them is the treasure of the glory of God. Same with us as pastors. We are ordinary and weak and plain. We're not that impressive. We make mistakes, but God has placed in us the most glorious and spectacular treasure to share with you. So this is really the, the theme of our series for the next couple of months in 2 Corinthians. And I trust, I'm confident, we will find it enormously encouraging to live in service of our glorious King, knowing that in our brokenness and in our weakness and in our, even in our failure, He is shown to be even more holy, more pure and more perfect. As we strive to serve Him as Christians and as His church here at Northmead, even our imperfection just shows off how perfect God is. And that's really where Paul starts the whole letter, with the knowledge and confidence that even as he goes through great suffering and hardship and despair, God is powerfully at work in him to strengthen and comfort others. I know it's taken us a little while to actually get to the passage, but I've been trying to set up the whole series this really a great passage that we're looking at today because you know what we see in this passage that God cares even in times of suffering and hardship God cares by comforting us so we can comfort others because we're all in this together it is right for us to study this book and to learn from it and to sit under it and to submit to what it says because this is the word of God this is God speaking directly to us by his Holy Spirit, through his servant Paul, who describes himself there in verse 1 as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. See, Paul serves and speaks and writes at the command and the call of God. Jesus Christ himself had personally appointed Paul to be an apostle to the nations. And he's with his friend and his ministry co-worker, Timothy, and they write this letter to the church in Corinth, but also to the saints throughout Greece, he says. It's addressed to a church, but he wants it to be read everywhere. And before he says anything else, he blesses them with the greatest blessing anyone could ever receive. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the context, that's the foundation of everything that's what we have that's who God is grace is his loving kindness his mercy his deep generosity peace is the result it's the right relationship we have with God as a free gift the confidence we have in God because he is our father and Christ is our Lord and so Paul continues to meditate on who God is in the next verse you see it there in verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is also our God and Father, verse 2 and 3 say. And he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Those are really big claims, aren't they? Mercy belongs to him. It comes from him. He is the source and the origin of compassion and tender, heartfelt concern for our weakness and our sinful condition. It all comes from him because he's the God of all comfort. 
all comfort. Let me read from Psalm 103. It is a beautiful psalm. I'm going to just read out a whole chunk of it because it's spectacular and encouraging and good. Psalm 103 of David. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserved or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us as a father who has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows what we are made of. Remembering that we are dust. I mean, it goes on. It's a spectacular psalm that's deeply encouraging and it's an awesome expression of God's character. Slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He has compassion. He heals. He forgives. He crowns. He resurrects. What we're seeing here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, first and foremost, is that God cares. God cares. Never be taken in by the lie from the devil that he got Adam and Eve with, he gets everyone with, but now in Christ we know the truth. But it's a lie from the devil that God doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your suffering. He doesn't care about that you're missing out. He doesn't care about that you feel lonely or unloved or in pain. That it's a lie. He is the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. And because he's the God of all comfort, then verse 4 says he comforts us in all our affliction. Notice how God is not just there in case of emergencies. As if God is a life jacket on a boat or a parachute on a plane, like a last resort. There, but hopefully you don't have to use it. It's not as if his compassion and mercy and comfort is to be used sparingly in case it runs out. Not at all. He is infinite in love, in compassion. And so in all our afflictions, in all our suffering, in all our hardship, he brings all comfort. Now, the comfort that Paul is talking about here is not so much like we're just kind of relaxing into a lounge chair or a pair of slippers, as if it kind of conforms to us and it's easy and pleasant. Like a church or a sermon that brings me comfort is where everything suits my needs and feels nice. Now, the word comfort in English, which is really interesting, is related to the word fortress. Fortitude, that's what the fort at the end of comfort, it was actually, it kind of came from a word that meant to bring strength. It's to do with power. It actually meant to convey the idea that you're strengthening someone to stand. You're giving them the courage and the power and the might to keep going, to keep advancing, to keep persevering. That reflects the original meaning of Paul. It's the advocate word. It's the helper word. I'm the encourager. The God of all encouragement encourages us. The God of all power strengthens us. He spurs us on and he stands beside us, within us, 
and gives us the ability to keep going. Even in the worst of afflictions. And that's Paul's experience. We're going to see a few times in 2 Corinthians reminders of just what Paul went through for the gospel. But you see it there down and flick down to verse 8. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. And notice Paul isn't embarrassed by how hard a time he had in ministry. His imprisonments and his rejection, he's being bashed, he's being kind of condemned and mocked and he wants them to know how hard it was. This is serious hardship. He says it was beyond my strength. I couldn't do it. I was overwhelmed. In fact, the, the ones who were with me, we, we despaired of life itself. We thought we were going to die. He goes on in verse 9. In, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Why would God have put his own apostle into such a situation where he thought he was going to die, he's overwhelmed, he's despairing, he can't do it. He doesn't have the strength. Why would God do that? So that he wouldn't trust himself, but trust in God who raises the dead. That's the comfort that Paul found. That's the encouragement and the strength that he experienced. He was reminded he could not do it, and he didn't have the strength. But that caused him to turn to the one who can do it, who has the might, who has the power, who has the mercy, who has the strength to even raise us from the dead. And God did save him from death. He was spared. He was brought out of that place of suffering and persecution. God protected him. But, God's, but Paul's confidence is far more than that. It's eternal. Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a terrible death. And he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. And that's not Paul saying, I am never going to get in trouble in my ministry. Nothing bad will ever happen again to me. No, he has been comforted and strengthened and reassured by the reminder that his real hope, his real confidence is in the resurrection from the dead to eternal life. Which means there's a reason why Paul doesn't hold back in serving God. Paul doesn't tiptoe around carefully proclaiming the gospel, playing it safe. No, he can be fully committed and utterly devoted and wholeheartedly passionate in serving Jesus because in him we've put our hope that he'll deliver us from the dead. Because Jesus has the power over death. Jesus proved that, didn't he? He raised the widow's son from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised his friend Lazarus four days later from the dead. And of course, he himself has triumphantly, victoriously, gloriously walked out of the grave, alive forever. In Revelation 1, Jesus says this. He says to John, don't be afraid. I mean, that's comfort, isn't it? That Jesus, the ruler, the king of the universe says, don't be afraid. There's our comfort. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. And listen to this. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever. There's your comfort. There's your strength. There's the reason you don't need to fear. I was dead, but I'm alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
I've got the keys, he says. Imagine if you had a key that opened every lock, unlocked every door, every gate in the entire world. I mean, it'd be convenient. You wouldn't have to have a whole bunch of keys hanging off your belt or whatever it is. One key to do everything, but not just your doors, every door. You could go anywhere. The exclusive areas, the staff-only areas, or whatever it is, you can go there because you've just got the, nothing would stop you. Nothing would block you or stand in your way. Everything is open to you. Jesus says, well, I've got the keys to death. The keys to the grave. I unlock it and I call my people out to live. Nothing can stop me from bringing you to be with me for eternal life. There's Paul's comfort. He was reminded of this great hope. Just like he says in Philippians, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because I get to go to be with him. But it's even bigger than that for Paul. So far we've seen in our suffering that God cares and God cares by comforting and strengthening us. But we also see in this passage that he comforts us so that we can comfort and strengthen others. Back up to verse 4, read a few verses. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patience and endurance, of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the suffering, so you will also share in the comfort. You see how Paul is saying that the strength and the comfort and the encouragement that he received from God actually overflows from him into the lives of others. He was comforted so that he may be able to comfort those who are suffering. He strengthens us so that we can strengthen others, encourages us, spurs us on, so we can do the same. This is a really important principle of being a Christian. That we pass on to others what we have received from God. I think sometimes as Christians we think, I'm glad God gives me this stuff and we want to hold on to it. But actually part of it is to pass on what we've received to others. That's the whole purpose, that's the whole idea. We've been saved and we're called to pass on that salvation to others. We've been given the knowledge of God. We're called to pass on that knowledge to others. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. Blessed, so we bless. Welcomed and accepted, so we pass that on. And we've been given strength and courage and endurance to stand in difficult times knowing the resurrection so we can pass that confidence on to others. That changes Paul's attitude to his suffering, doesn't it? As it should change our attitude. And I know it's tempting that, to think that now is the time for us to, as Christians and as a church, let's just take shelter a bit, let's just recover, let's catch our breath. The times of upheaval or the times of uncertainty and suffering and hardship and loss, they're the time to retreat and withdraw. But Paul is actually setting before Christians a different perspective a different, fresh, new outlook, outlook on life, where even the hardest of times we go through are in fact reminders of the comfort and power in Christ. But even more, they are the means by which God overflows abundant strength and courage and comfort to others. 
as we go through suffering, sometimes we need to lift our eyes and think, actually, this is God's plan to be a blessing to others. Because that's Christ, isn't it? On the cross, suffering that we might be blessed. Let me read verse 5 and beginning of 6 again. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And there it is. The comfort that we can offer, no matter what, is salvation. It's eternal life. It's resurrection from the dead. That's real, uh, real comfort. As you go through suffering, in particular suffering for being a Christian, remember, brothers and sisters, you are saved. You are loved by the God of mercy and comfort. You are adopted to be his child. You belong with him forever. Your sins are forgiven and you will, guaranteed, be raised triumphantly from the dead. Trust him. You can keep going. And here's the thing. If someone is going through a really difficult time, maybe they've lost a loved one or they're falling apart or they're being attacked for their faith by their family, by people who are close to them, we often think to comfort them is to somehow make them feel good. Because these days we're obsessed with feelings. But how does that work? How can I make them feel good in the worst of times? But what I can do is help them to stand firm by trusting in the Lord. What I can do is encourage and strengthen them to keep going in their faith, to be with them, to be by their side as we share in salvation to be there so that they can lean on me. If necessary, I can pick them up and carry me. And whether or not they carry them, whether or not they feel happy, warm feelings along the way, we will get there together. That's Christian encouragement and comfort. And it's an expression of the reality that we're all in this together. That's what this passage is about. God cares by comforting and strengthening us so that we can comfort and strengthen others because we're all in this together. Have a look at verse 11. Well, I'll go from verse 10. He's delivered us from such a terrible death. He will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. That's a slightly convoluted verse. But Paul is saying that his suffering and his comfort was to bring comfort to others. But he's acknowledging here that it works the other way around as well. He himself has received encouragement and blessing from the ministry of others. And here's the thing. What is it that you can do to strengthen someone when you yourself are weak? What is it that you can do to comfort someone when you yourself are suffering? What's the thing that you can do to encourage someone when you yourself are weighed down? You can ask the God of all mercy, all comfort, all power, all compassion. You can pray. He says to the Corinthians, you join in helping us by your prayers. Paul sees their prayers as enormously helpful and expressing a deep partnership together in ministry. He benefited. He, he was helped. He was delivered. Because of their ministry to him, the ministry of prayer. But he was delivered so that he could benefit and comfort them. 
And what's interesting is I'm pretty sure he's saying that actually many others will give thanks to God for the gift that he's received. That there are people who were so invested in the gospel and committed to Christ that they'll give thanks to God because Paul received a gift through the prayers and help of others. They're watching on and thinking, this is amazing, I'm so thankful to God. Can you see that amongst Christians there is a mutual encouragement, a mutual thankfulness, a mutual blessing, a mutual prayerfulness because we've been saved and comforted by God. We've received his abundant, overflowing mercy. That's the effect of the gospel. That's what happens when you receive grace and peace from God. When you come to the God and Father of mercy and comfort, then we are united as one and we're all in this together. We are all a bunch of ordinary jars of clay gathered together in our weakness and frailty and ordinariness. But out of us, God shines the most spectacular light of his glory. God overflows his abundant mercy and compassion and his comfort and strength. So let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are indeed the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, demonstrated clearly, eternally, in Jesus coming to die in our place on the cross, rise for our eternal life. Father, we pray that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, that you would fill us with this comfort and salvation and strength to know that we have been saved by Jesus and that that would overflow abundantly to others, that they would be strengthened and encouraged by the same truth, and that we would cling with hope and confidence to the knowledge that we'll be raised from the dead to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.